Well, hello and welcome to you as you are able to join in tonight. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is our Holy Week celebration and um, the special services, the special messages that we're trying to bring forth that God has put on our heart to share with you tonight and all of this week as we really celebrate our Lord's death, burial, and resurrection. And I hope that these are enriching your Passion Week and that they are blessing you in special ways. And so I want to welcome you as you might be able to join in. And um, God has had some powerful words for us, and I trust that you'll be blessed by tonight's as well. I'd like to begin with prayer. Gracious Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Father, for your goodness to us. I thank you, God, for your call upon our lives. I thank you for the beauty of your word. I thank you for revealing your truth to us and revealing your plan to us and revealing your heart to us. And so, God, I pray that we will receive your word tonight and that it will accomplish its good and perfect work in each and every one of these that, that hear it. And so, Father, I ask that you will get all the glory and you will speak through me, Father, to minister to people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you as you may be able to join in. Tonight, we are going to cover the topic or we're going to explore the topic, Cups and Covenant, Jesus' Last Seder. You know, we call it the Last Supper, Jesus' Last Supper, and it was actually his last Passover Seder on this earth. Even this very night, all around the world, Jews are celebrating the Passover Seder because officially tonight, Passover begins, began at sundown for the Jewish people all around the world. And even to, today, there are certain Jews in, in Jerusalem that are longing to build the third temple and are longing to bring back the sacrifices to the temple mount. So there, there's a hunger for that. And Passover is a very special celebration to the Jewish people. And I hope you will find it to be so this week as we look at some of the elements, even tonight, of how it coordinates with the plan of God and with what was fulfilled because it was the Passover was the pattern for Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection. The Passover season and the three feasts that they celebrate during this week all show us Jesus. Every one of them are to point us to Jesus Christ. Now in Jesus' day, they had the second temple and they observed the Passover with the actual lambs that were slain and the other parts of the celebration just like they do today um, and just like they had done for about 1500 years since the exodus from Egypt when God gave them the instructions for Passover. Jews today still observe many of these same practices as many as they can even to this day. So they've been doing this now for about 3500 years. Now the Jews can best teach exactly how Christ applies in the Passover. And there are several ministries that offer this. I'm not, I'm not Jewish to my knowledge, but I don't know it as well as many others, but there are many Messianic Jews that have ministries today. And you can look those up. Jews for Jesus, for instance, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, all of those 
to my knowledge, are doing special Passover live streams and, and webinars or whatever this week. So you can, um, you can look some of those up for more information. And they will show you Christ in the Passover in every element. He's, he's portrayed through the entire thing. Every, pass, every portion of the Passover is a very beautiful and significant thing. And I can direct you to a Feasts of the Lord study that I did. And I did, you know, one, one of the lessons was on Passover. And so there's a lot more information there. But tonight I want to focus on certain portions of the Passover Seder that is, is practiced by the Jewish people on a regular basis and has been for 3,500 years. The Passover Seder, the Jews observe it consistently every year, many of them, and some even secular Jews that, that aren't religious at all, they would still, some of them will still participate in this particular feast. So it's a very important celebration for the Jewish people. And Seder, the word Seder, S-E-D-E-R, just simply means an order of service. It's sort of a liturgy that they follow. Um, in terms of the prescribed practices and order that they will follow throughout that service. Now, the, the instructions for Passover from God were given to Moses in Exodus chapter 12, and that was the night that the death angel was coming through the land of Egypt, and so Moses had to deliver the message to the children of Israel and they had to, on the 10th of Nisan, five days before, they had to choose their lamb that would become the sacrificial lamb. And then on the night when the death angel was coming through, they had had to prepare that lamb, roast it, kill it. Everybody had to basically self-isolate in their homes, and they couldn't come out of their homes that entire night. And so, and they had to put the blood on the doorposts of their home, on the on the lintel and on the side posts. Um, they had to put the, the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their home. And this was the time period that God gave them this feast was in reference to their exodus from Egypt. It symbolized their deliverance from Egypt and the preservation of their firstborn children. The death angel would come through that night and he would look for the blood on the doorposts of the homes. And every home that had the blood applied to the doorposts, believe me, this will preach. Every home that had the blood applied to the doorpost, the death angel could not touch them. The blood was what protected them. The blood was, would protect all of those that were inside that home. And so on that night, you have the death of the firstborn, all in the land of Egypt, but all those in the camp of Israel that had the blood on the doorposts were saved and were spared. The death angel passed over, but the reason that the death angel passed over them was because of the blood of the lamb. John identifies Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 29, as the lamb of God. He was calling him the Passover lamb. And so in this Seder, they recount the story of their exodus. Now, a couple of other points about it. First of all, they could only use unleavened bread or matzah. 
They could not have any leaven in their home. Now, leaven in scripture signifies sin. They had basically 30 days prior to that, they were doing spring cleaning, so to speak, and they were going through their house to make sure they had rid their homes of all leaven in preparation for Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And so I've taken out a piece of matzah to show you tonight. And this, this is a piece of modern day matzah. And it was something similar to this. It probably may have looked more like a, a pita or a um, tortilla shell perhaps in that day, but this is an actual piece of matzah, modern day matzah. And that's all that they could partake of during this time and during this celebration. They also had cups of wine, cups of the fruit of the vine, juice, that they drank throughout the Seder. As a matter of fact, there were four total cups and they drank them. Then they also had one cup, in, in essence, a fifth cup, that was Elijah's cup. And they would keep waiting and watching for Elijah. The reason for that is because Malachi 4 said that Elijah was going to come before the, the coming of the Lord. And so they, they were looking for him to come prior to Messiah's coming. Now, Jesus identified John the Baptist as coming as that forerunner in the spirit of Elijah. But there is still a coming Elijah, according to the book of Revelation and other prophecies throughout Scripture. And that's another study for another time. So they don't drink out of Elijah's cup, but they have it there hoping that he's finally come. And so they, they do that in honor of him. The other four cups, however, though, they drink out of at each Passover. Now, what are these cups and why in the world are they important? Well, these four cups come from a key passage of scripture that I'd like for us to turn to now and read. And it's found in Exodus chapter six. And I wanna read verses one through seven to you. In Exodus chapter six, verse one, it says, then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I shall do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Lord, or Yahweh, or Hashem, some will call him, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I've also heard the groanings of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Praise be to God. This is where those four cups come from. They call them the four I will statements that are found in here. Now, first of all, I want, to, I want us to notice something about this passage. God is remembering his covenant promises to the fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is some 400 and something years 
that they've been in Egyptian bondage now. But God is remembering that he made an eternal covenant promise to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So prior to now, God says that he had revealed them as El Shaddai. He had revealed himself to them as El Shaddai. But they had not grown into full understanding and revelation of his covenant name, Yahweh God, or yud Hey vav Hey. As a matter of fact, that's, that's a beautiful name for the Lord, and it shows us the cross was even in his name. It was embedded in, in a pictorial way in his name because the Jewish language is a pictorial language. And each letter symbolizes a certain word picture to help understand the meaning of it or to put together the meaning of words. And so when you look at yud Hey vav Hey, the four letters that make up God's covenant name here, it is, we look at the word pictures and we see that yud is like a closed hand. And hey is a word that, that in essence is like, hey, this is something very important, pay attention. And when it comes in the middle of the word, we learn that it's, it's sort of at the heart or the core of, of what the whole thing is all about. And then vav, vav means a nail or a tent peg. So some have termed this through the word pictures, behold the nailed hand. Beloved, God put in his very covenant name the concept of a nailed hand, the concept of how he would make covenant with us. It, the cross was never an afterthought. It was his plan all along. Hallelujah. So now in Exodus 6, God is preparing to deliver the people and he desires to make them his own. He's desiring to bring them to himself in a covenant relationship. Now this wouldn't happen fully until Christ comes, but now he is des he's desiring that of them and he's showing them, he's beginning to expound on that to them and give them some revelation of it. So God remembers his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he gives them four distinct promises here. Remember, they were still in Egyptian bondage when this was passage was written and when it was spoken to them and to Moses, but that was not their end. God was fixing to bring them out, and so he promises these four things to them. And so these form the basis for the four I will statements and the four cups of the Passover, each one correlating to one of these four I will statements. So God said, I will deliver you from under the burdens of the Egyptians. In other words, he's going to rescue them out. He's going to deliver them. It's similar, it made me think similarly of just as an illustration, like someone sinking in water and someone either jumps in or throws in a life vest and and snatches them out and rescues them from drowning. God was going to do that for them and rescue them from bondage to Egypt. Why would he do that? Why is he devoted to doing that? I want to read to you, and it says this, God is speaking, and he says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. This is after they've been brought out of Egypt now. God is speaking to Moses. He says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. 
God's desire was to bring them to himself in a covenant relationship with him. He wanted them to be his people. And so the beginnings of that and the beginnings of developing that understanding and that covenant with them was at Mount Sinai. He wanted to make a covenant with them and for them to become his own special people. So he's bringing them out to bring them to himself. So he says, I'm going to deliver you or to bring you out from the bondage and the burdens of the Egyptians. That's the first cup of Passover. It is called the cup of consecration or sanctification. And God was saying, I'm setting you apart. I'm bringing you out of that to bring you to myself. I'm bringing you out of that and separating you and bringing you apart from all others, separating you from Egypt's power over you to bring you to myself. Then he says he will, he will rescue them from Egypt's bondage. That he's talking about basically snatching them out, delivering them from the toils and sufferings and bondage that they had found in Egypt, all of the afflictions. Remember, God used 10 plagues to actually accomplish this entire thing. So this would refer to their sufferings and the tortures that they had endured under their bondage in Egypt. So this forms the second cup of Passover, and it's known as the cup of plagues or the cup of wrath or the cup of judgment, something along those lines. Then the third cup, the third cup is represented by the third I will statement, which is I will redeem you. Notice he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments or verdicts. God is going to redeem them. This word is literally the Ga'al or the Goel. We talked about the kinsman redeemer. God is saying, I will be your kinsman redeemer. I will redeem you. And I will do it with an outstretched arm and with great judgments, judgments, verdicts, sentence that is large in its intensity and in its importance. And this is called the, this is forming the third cup of Passover, and it is called the cup of redemption. Then he says, for the fourth I will, I will receive you. I'm going to take you as my own special people, and he will be their God. And so he says, he's basically saying to them, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry you. I'm going to receive you to myself in a covenant relationship like a marriage. It points us to a wedding ceremony in essence. And so this is the fourth cup of Passover. And it's called the cup of consummation or celebration, completion, I believe some, some know it. So these form the four cups of Passover. Now, what in the world does all of this have to do with Jesus' last Seder? How does it apply to Jesus and his final day? Now, you have to remember in the Jewish mindset, the day begins at sundown the night before and goes through the night and all through the day until sundown of the next day. And that is their day. So Jesus is starting his final day at this Passover Seder, and he knows what all is ahead for him. So we want to see how these four cups and the matzah play into that. What, what is the significance of Jesus' last supper? All right, we have to, we remember that this was his last Passover Seder. 
all four of the Gospels speak to us about this. Matthew in Matthew chapter 26, Mark in Mark 14, Luke in Luke 22, and John in John 13 through 17. Now John gives us loads of details because John even gives us all the, the teachings and the discussion and the discourse that Jesus had with the disciples. Paul also references this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But for tonight, I want to read to us from Matthew chapter 26, and I'd like to read verse 17 through verse 30. Matthew chapter 26, verse 17. Now on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. In other words, they prepared all four cups and they prepared with the matzah and the, the other things that were a part of that. And when evening had come, verse 20, he sat down with the 12. Now as they were eating, he said, assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful and each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, he who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for, him, for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? He said to him, you have said it. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. He took the matzah of their day, whatever that was, it, this is just our modern day matzah. It may have been slightly different. It probably would have been baked or cooked in an oven or stove uh, of some kind. But he took the matzah and he broke it and he blessed it. And then he gave it to them and said, take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This was the third cup. There's other places in, particularly in Luke, that shows us that there was more than one cup. Jesus has drunk these cups, and this is the cup of redemption. He took the third cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. All right, so here we read Matthew's account, all of the Gospels, like I said, and Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, give us details about this night and this Passover Seder. So you, you get certain details from the different places. But from all of these accounts, we see that they were observing a regular Passover Seder. In that day, they used the lamb. They used the things that were required in Exodus. Now, today, there's other elements that they've added to the Passover Seder. But in Jesus' day, we know that they did what God required in Exodus when he gave them the instructions for it. And it was required that they offered the Passover lamb, the matzah, the unleavened bread, and bitter herbs or marrow. 
And these were to remind them of their sufferings in the land of Egypt. Now, they all symbolized Jesus Christ. And they would begin drinking in the, in the Passover Seder, early in the Seder, near the very beginning of it, they would drink the first cup or the cup of sanctification or consecration. Remember, that was that first I will statement that God would rescue them from Egypt's bondage. At the appropriate time, shortly thereafter, they would take three pieces, they would have had and prepare three pieces of this matzah in what's called a matzotosh bag. And they would put, it was a, a pouch that had three compartments and they would layer, they would put a whole piece of matzah in the top, a whole piece of matzah in the middle, and a whole piece of matzah in the bottom piece. And later in the service, the leader would take out the one that was in the middle, only the one that was in the middle, and he would break it in half. I'm not going to do that now just because of crumbs and things like that. But he would break it in half, and then he would put a portion of it back in the matzotosh bag, and the other portion he would wrap it in linen and hide it away for a future time in the Passover Seder it would come back and it would be found. All right? So then they would proceed through the Seder order and they came to the time of drinking the second cup, which reminded them of their sufferings, of the torture, the plagues of Egypt, the wrath of, of God upon Pharaoh and how he was delivering them. And so the Seder service would continue all the way through them actually eating the meal the lamb and, and the other things, the bitter herbs. And then after the meal was eaten, by this time, this middle portion of matzah that had been wrapped in linen and hidden away at a certain point in the Seder, this would have been found, brought back, and it is now fixing to be eaten. It's about that time. So usually a child would be the one they would do it as a, a child's game in a, lot of, in a lot of ways and in a lot of times, and the children would go and look for it and find it. And then when they found it, the one that found it would receive a prize. This piece of matzah that was, that was hidden away and then brought back and found later is called the afikoman. All right? It is now, at this point, after the meal, it is now broken and distributed among the people gathered there and it is eaten. This occurs during the stage. I don't know how to pronounce this, so I will probably mess it up, but it's a zafun, I guess. And, it, and the word actually means hidden or concealed. This is the bread. That is the bread. The afikoman is the bread that Jesus broke and gave to them and said that it was his body broken for them. Now, the afikoman, the word, means what comes after or the coming one. Now, I want you to understand, when they would take these whole pieces and put them in the matzotosh bag, that is a beautiful picture of the Lord, the one true God who is echad, the united one, the one that is the triune God or the trinity, we call him. It's, it's not three gods. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God who is revealed in three persons. 
There is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting that when they they do the matzah tash with the three compartments, it's the middle compartment is the one that's brought out, broken, and then found later and eaten by the people. That one represents God the Son, which is the one that we're talking about, Jesus the Christ, Yeshua, the Messiah. The middle one, the Son, his is the one that is broken and distributed. And it symbolized his precious body broken for us. He tells us that himself. And as a matter of fact, I want us to turn, I want to turn quickly to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. And I want you to read this uh, with me. I want to read this to you. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, and this is a direct quote from Psalm chapter 40. He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. So this afikomen represented the body of Jesus, the body that God prepared for him when he came to do the will of God on earth. Hallelujah. God prepared it and he came to do the Father's will. He even attested to this in John chapter 4 when the disciples came back and brought food. And he said, well, I, I have food that you don't even know about because my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Hallelujah. So Jesus attests here that he is this unleavened bread. He is this sinless one. Remember, leaven represents sin. They had to remove the sin, and they could not bake the bread that night with sin in it, with yeast in it, with leaven in it. And so he's saying that his body, his sinless body, is the one that is broken for them. You know, Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 53, he writes a beautiful chapter. And in essence, many Jews have struggled with this chapter because they don't fully understand it. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, Philip is taken to a eunuch who is in his chariot reading this very scripture and not understanding it. And so Philip then expounds on it and explains to him how it fits with Yeshua, the Messiah, and how Jesus is the fulfillment of it. But in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5, it says this, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. So this is speaking of what happened and what would happen to Jesus' body. His body was wounded for our transgressions. His body was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that was required to bring us peace with God was placed on him. And by his stripes, the stripes that he would endure in his body, he did that so that we could in, enjoy healing from his hand. This is the purpose for why Jesus' body had to be bruised and broken. And if you could see this or hold it up to the light, the matzah is striped 
and it is pierced and it is bruised. You can see that. And so it, it pictures Jesus in many, many ways. Hallelujah. Now, after the meal and after the broken matzah, they would then drink the third cup, which is the cup that Jesus raised up in Matthew 26 here. And he said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This third cup is the cup of redemption. This is the one where he says, I'm the kinsman redeemer for you. I've come to redeem you. I've come to pay the ransom for your souls. I've come to pay the wages of sin so that you don't have to. I've come to pay the death sentence that is yours, and I'm taking it myself and paying it in, in your place. He came to purchase us and to pay that ransom, and that was the cup of redemption, the cup of the new covenant in his blood. What is the new covenant? Jeremiah prophesied about it in Jeremiah 31, and Jesus fulfilled it at the cross by doing this, and this is what he was saying. Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34 says this, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This is the new covenant. This is the new covenant that Jesus would give his blood. He would spill his blood on the cross for this new covenant to be effected and to come alive. And he made that on your behalf and on my behalf. And it's all about a relationship. The new covenant here that's described here is about a relationship, a relationship with God. He says that I will be their God and they will be my people. We're gonna be married in a covenant relationship, so to speak in a spiritual sense. He says that he will put his law in our, in our minds and write it on our hearts. It's gonna be internal. It's not gonna be something beating us over the head from the outside. It'll be something that he puts inside of us that's living and that comes alive inside of us. He says that everybody's gonna know him from the least to the greatest, the youngest child or the youngest Christian can know the Lord just as much as those that have served him for 50, 60, 80 years. Hallelujah. Everybody can know him. And that word is talking about to know him personally, to know him intimately. Hallelujah. And he says he's going to do these things. And these are the, the new covenant. This is how he describes the new covenant. It's speaking of a personal and intimate 
relationship with God. And it's giving us an invitation here. He's saying, I'm, I'm giving an invitation to you for you to join with me in a covenant relationship. Paul even calls it Christ and his bride or Christ and the church. In 2 Corinthians 11.2, he speaks of it this way. He says in 2 Corinthians 11.2, let me find it real quick. He says, for I'm jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I've betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So he's identifying our relationship in this new covenant as being one where we become the bride of Christ. That's who we become. And Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, also verifies that this new covenant is fulfilled in Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 8. So this Passover Seder, this was the third cup, the cup of redemption that Jesus drank. Now you'll notice in Matthew, he said that I'm not going to drink anymore until we drink it there in the kingdom of God. What he was talking about was the fourth cup. He drank three that night, and he said the fourth one is reserved. We're going to drink it, but we're not going to drink it now. We're going to drink that in heaven together in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. That's the one that he is saving for, in essence, our wedding celebration. Revelation 19 talks about the bride and the bride getting ready for the wet marriage supper of the Lamb. And so it's speaking about that coming time. Hallelujah. Then they would conclude the Passover Seder and they would sing the Hallel Psalms. Psalms 113 through 118 are the Hallels. And I believe they would, at the end of the service, it was primarily 115 to 118 that they would, they would read and recite and sing. So he said that, it said even in Matthew, that when they had sung a hymn, that was the Hallel Psalms. Then he heads up for the Mount of Olives. Now, notice that he's heading to the Mount of Olives. He heads to Gethsemane, and he goes there. Now, you've got it. You need to remember the four cups and the three that he drank when we're talking about his time in Gethsemane. Remember the four cups. The first one is the cup of consecration or sanctification that would set him apart for the Lord. The holy crown, the crown of thorns, because it was typified by the holy crown that the high priest would wear, which was a, a symbol of sanctification and consecration to God alone. It had written on it, holiness to the Lord, and it was for God alone. It was what consecrated him. So here, the cup of consecration, the first cup, could represent the crown of thorns, because that was what consecrated and separated Jesus to God in this Passion Week. The second cup, cup of plagues or wrath, the pla plagues or the judgments, the torch tortures that he would endure. I call them the crushings. And then the third cup, the cup of redemption, represents the actual cross. Remember when Moses got the word from God and God said the four I wills, the when he said, I will redeem you, he said, with an outstretched arm. What did Jesus do when he went to the cross? He stretched out his arms across that cross. God said he would redeem with an outstretched arm and with great judgments through his death, through the verdict that he had to endure, that he was judged 
to be crucified, to pay a death penalty. His verdict was for Christ, it was that he had to be judged and he had to die. The verdict then to us who believe in Jesus and receive his atoning work of the cross, his finished work, his verdict to us is justification for us. He saves us and he brings us into a relationship of being having peace with God and right standing with God. That was what the third cup, the cup of redemption, would bring to us. And then the fourth cup, remember, was the cup of consummation or completion, celebration. Jesus reserves this one for our time in heaven at the marriage supper. So in Gethsemane, Jesus goes to Gethsemane and he kneels down and he prays for three hours. He prays the first hour and he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If not, Father, not my will, but thine be done. Now, we've read that and it appears to be the same prayer. And I remember reading that one day and I went, Lord, why, why did he say the same prayer three different times? And this is what the Lord told me. He said, what had he just done? And the Lord reminded me, that he had just come, just come from the Passover Seder where they drank three cups. He drank those cups symbolically at the Passover Seder. But what he had to do now was to actually drink them for real. He, they were coming alive now. He had to really endure what they represented. So the first hour, he's praying for the first cup which was the crown of thorns, that which would consecrate him to God, that which would separate him to God, the crown of thorns that he knew was coming, where they would take those long, sharp spikes, those long, sharp thorns, that thorny vine, and twist it all around to make a crown, and then they would press it into his head, and then they would take a reed, and they would beat it in his head. That first cup, was the crown of thorns, and he knew it was coming, so he was praying for that cup. Then he goes the second hour, and he says, Father, same prayer, if it, if it be possible, let this cup, which cup? The second cup, which represented the tortures, or the plagues, or the judgment. So he was asking God to, to help him, to, to deliver him if possible. And if not, he said, not my will, but thine be done. This would represent his beatings, his scourging, being spat on, being, being pushed, being shoved, being hit, being slapped. This was that second cup. And he knew that it was coming and he was going to have to endure it. So he was praying for the second cup. Then in the third hour, he prays again. And he says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup. What was the third cup? The cup of redemption, which was done at the cross. The third cup represented the actual cross. So his three prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane connect with the three cups he had just drunk symbolically, but knew that now they were going to come to pass. And now those four I wills that God had promised had to now be affected in reality. And so he had to take the crown of thorns because he had to consecrate and separate. He had to take the crushings because that was how God was going to rescue and deliver them. And he had to take the cross because that was 
where he was going to spill his blood to be the kinsman redeemer and to redeem us from sin. Jesus now knew that within just a few short hours, he was going to have to fulfill the symbolism that had been foreshadowed in those cups, and he was going to have to drink them for real. He was going to have to take the crown of thorns. He was going to have to endure the crushings, and he was going to have to lay down on the cross and spill his blood out. His last Passover Seder is powerful and worthy of remembering. Beloved, these things are precious to us. He tells us to remember these things and to do them in remembrance of him. You know, whenever the Jewish wedding in the Old Testament, in the olden times, they had a custom in the Jewish wedding and they followed that. And so they would, the, the groom would choose the bride he wanted. They would um, form a marriage contract or a ketubah and they would sign that and agree to that. And then what sealed their union together, the only thing remaining at that point being that the, the groom would have to pay the bride price. But what sealed it and what, in a sense, where the groom would pop the question to his would-be bride was when he would offer bread and wine. It was a covenant. Um, it was a covenant meal. It was an offer to enter and to accept the terms and to become his bride. So the groom would offer that by offering bread and the wine or the juice to that would be bride. And this would seal their covenant marriage when she would then receive it. This is what Jesus was doing at his Passover Seder. He was offering to enter covenant with him. And he still does to this day to all who will accept him as their Savior and Lord, accepting his sacrifice for us. He offered it to his disciples at his last Passover Seder, and still to this day, when we partake of communion, the offer still stands, even to this day. We can become his. We can find him to be our kinsman redeemer. Beloved at the Passover Seder, in the offer of the, the cup of redemption and the matzah, Jesus was offering covenant relationship he was asking them to enter in to that relationship with him. And he was sealing the deal. He was sealing the covenant when they would receive that. How precious is that? We become his. Oh, it's a beautiful thing to become his. He is still doing that today. So I want us to end tonight remembering these special things of what God has done for us. And I hope this makes communion come alive to you in some way. And I'm going to ask that if you do not know Jesus, then you have the opportunity now. There's an invitation for you right now to enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ because the offer still stands for you that he will take you and he'll forgive you of your sins. He'll redeem you and he will become yours, your God and, and your groom, so to speak. And you will become his in this very moment. You can do that even right now. And if you are a believer, 
I pray that as we partake of communion, that you would you would search yourself and you would pray prayerfully receive this and and think about what all that that Jesus did for you, what all the Passover Seder meant, and what God has spoken to you even tonight in this discussion. So I want to turn right now, I want to read from what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. He says this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are sick and many are weak and sick among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So taking a communion is a beautiful thing, but it's also a very serious thing. And so Paul is simply giving us a warning here about the seriousness of it. We don't do it lightly. It's one of the observances and one of the sacraments that we honor the Lord with. I encourage you to do this in remembrance of him. And so we do this in remembrance of his precious blood spilled for us. May God bless you tonight. God bless you is my prayer.